So how long do you think it would take to move two to three million people from Egypt to the Promised Land? Have you looked on a map? It probably would take, at the most, 40 days. Probably less than that. It's not that far. Do you know how long it did take? 40 years. Now, your first thought is, well, God, don't you know where the promised land is? And, yes, he knows where it is. But it's not so much about getting his people to a geographical location. It's a spiritual destination. That's what it is. He's working to get into their hearts to relationship with him. And I think often when we're going through difficulties, we tend to think on that horizontal plane rather than the vertical plane. The life of Moses is about relationship. It's about redemption, yes, parting the Red Sea and walking across on dry, land, dry ground. That's a picture of our salvation. So you're saying, well, so is my life a picture of wandering in the wilderness? <laughs> well, often we do feel that way. Uh, have you felt that way before? Like, you know what, this, this life is like wandering in the wilderness. What is God up to? Well, his whole purpose for creating you was to have an intimate, real, vital relationship. And that takes some work. It's one thing to get his people out of Egypt, another thing to get Egypt out of his people because he was, it was still in their hearts. So how does he do that? How does God do that? And we're gonna watch as we, we follow this journey of Moses attempting to lead uh, these people to the promised land. They go through many, many tests, challenges. We talked about tests last week. None of us like tests, but tests are valuable. We appreciate those. Congratulations, Scott. He did pass his flying test this week. So you can, you can be, uh, yeah, we can give him a hand. Uh, I said, that puts a lot of pressure on the guy when I mention in a message he's got to pass his flying test. So, <laughs> so thankfully did that, but we're all glad uh, he's glad it's over. We're glad our pilots are tested. And, and yet, we struggle with testing. The testing that God brings in our, into our lives. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at a different kind of testing today in chapter 16. Uh, but before that, I just wanna tell you a little story. I was walking uh, out, out onto our back porch on Friday, just on Friday. And um, sunny day, a little cool in the morning, but just a beautiful sunny day. And we see a lot of things. We see coyotes running through the fields and, of course, rabbits and prairie dogs and owls. And we see uh, lots of hawks. But I saw this incredibly large bird flying right in front of me. And it was so distinguishable because of the white head 
and the white tail, a massive bird. It was a bald eagle. And I'm thinking, wow, right in front of me, um, this bald eagle. And he flapped his wings maybe two or three times, and then he just started to soar. And, and I watched this. I stayed out there for until, until I could no longer see the eagle. He just got higher and higher and higher, and I'm waiting. He hasn't flapped his wings. He hasn't flapped his wings. <laughs> he hasn't flapped his wings. But how does that eagle gain that height and continue to soar is by going into the wind. You, you get your lift by going into the wind, not going downwind or with the wind. It's going into the wind. And that's the resistance or the testing. I, and so I thought of this very thing with the message is that, you know, when the wind is in your face, you know, you think, I don't really like that, but that's really what gives you the ability to soar. And, and so through the testing, God is going to bring you to the promised land spiritually, not just physically, spiritually. He's going to bring you through that. And every test is designed to show his glory. And you're going to see this one little phrase all through the Old Testament, that they might know the Lord. Why does he do all this? That they might know the Lord. That the Egyptians might know the Lord. That you might know the Lord. And when he uses the word know, it's not just an intellectual knowledge of God. It's a personal relationship. So here's what I'm going to show you today. If you have your Bibles, you can, you can see this. It's just a, a beautiful thing. Chapter 15, uh, we were in last week. And... At the very end of 20, verse 25, it says, and he tested them there. Do you remember where he tested them? He tested them at a place called Mara, which means bitter, by drinking the bitter water. And it, they grumbled and complained. Of course, you saw in the text today, uh, they were grumbling and complaining. You're going to find that all the way 40 years <laughs> of this with, with the people. But it says he tested them there with the bitter water. And I liken this to trouble. We talked about trouble. <laughs> How trouble, when trouble comes, our tendency is to look this way and complain and grumble and blame and get frustrated. That's our tendency. We look all around and this is, this is what they constantly do. But what Moses did, he was different. Immediately when this happened, he prayed. He prayed. And the Lord answered. He provided the tree, threw that into the water, made it sweet. So this is the last experience. Now, now from there, they're traveling to a, a new place. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to come to this new location. It's in the, the, called the wilderness of Sin. Now, it's not like Sin, like... But, but in a way, it kind of is. It ends up being that, the Sinai Peninsula, uh, Mount Sinai, but the wilderness of sin. So they're traveling along this coast, and it's been days since they've had something to eat. So again, they're hungry. And the Lord provides bread from heaven. That's the title of our message, bread from heaven. And he provides it in such abundance 
I mean, just it's, it's, it's amazing how much he just rains from heaven. That's the terminology. He rains the bread from heaven and he gives them so much quail that they can't eat it all. And so this is another test. And he says here in, in verse 4, this way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So the first test is with trouble. Second test, I'll call it with treasure, with abundance. When, when God gives, gives trouble, we tend to get frustrated and angry. But when God brings abundance, we tend to just forget him. We tend to forget him. And I think particularly this can be true for believers is that when there are seasons when you go through a lot of difficulties, but there are also seasons, you know, where God just blessed, blesses your life and things are going well and um, you forget God. You forget God. And this is the second test. So you can circle those two words, tested and test, both ways. Um, the trouble was at Mara with bitter water. And now we find after the abundance, and he says, this is the particular way I'm going to test you with a gift. I'm going to test you with abundance. I'm going to test you. I'm going to pour out my blessing on you. And it's a test. How are you going to handle that? Earlier this week, someone, I don't know their name, won $2 billion in the Powerball. I know all of you follow that. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting. It is a little depressing that you have to pay almost $400 million in taxes if you win. And you wonder what that does to a person. Well, you don't have to wonder. You can read about it. Just look at all of the lottery winners of history. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it would be different with me. <clears throat> and uh, I think you probably overestimate what you might do. But it would be an example. That would change your life. That would change your life. And, and the truth is every blessing of God, in a sense, changes your life. Every gift, every, everything that he does for you, every outpouring of him is a test. How will you respond to this gift from God, large or small, whether it's $2 billion or the gift of a child or the gift of a raise or a gift of a home or a gift of a friend? How will you respond to that? This story is a story of miraculous provision of manna, bread. And this is what we learned from the story. Now, it's a, it's, it's a fairly long chapter, so I didn't have Jared read the whole thing. But let me just give you a rundown of what happens in chapter 16. Um, it, it's, it's a great story. First of all, they, they leave Mara and they go to this place called Elam. It has 12 springs and 70 palms. It's in the wilderness, so it's just like an oasis. They're, they're leaving the oasis, and they begin their journey across the desert. So wilderness, desert. And you've got two to three million people, 
And there's not a lot of water in the desert. There's not a lot of food in the desert. Even if you're trying to pick berries um, or getting the dew off the ground. So the people become hungry and thirsty. So since they learned this lesson, this test about what do you do when you're disappointed, in trouble, look to God. That's what we learned last time, right? It didn't take them but a few days. They're grumbling again. And uh, you think, oh, I bet you God is just kind of like, <laughs> I've had it with these people. And, and so it's, it's a bit of a surprise of how God responds. Because you think it would be fire from heaven consuming everyone or bringing some plague upon his people. He surprises us. He rains down bread. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you. And he also provided quail. That was every morning. And then quail in the evening. So this manna. What was it like? And I, it took me a long time. I'm trying to figure out what was this really like? It was, it was like a, a, a bread, white, flaky, and sweet. I don't know if you all have ever had flaky biscuits. And I mean, if you drown them in butter or gravy, they're especially good. But a flake, I, I shouldn't do this right before lunch. But <laughs> it's like flaky wafers that are sweetened with honey. And this becomes their staple. You know, some places in the world, they'll have, uh, you know, taro root, or they'll have rice, or they have potatoes, and that, that's the staple. Uh, many places, rice and beans. The staple became this sweet, flaky, delicious bread. And it had all of the nutrition that you need to live on. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there selling their shakes today, you know. Now, this gives you everything you need. If you drink this, that's all you drink is a shake every day. <clears throat> that's hard to do. But this bread was sweet to the taste. You put it in your mouth. They could, they could form it and bake it. A lot of different things they could do, do with this. And, and God he would provide this every morning for them for 40 years in the wilderness. So he gave them instructions. This is what's interesting. He gave them detailed instructions. He said, you go out every morning and you pick it up. He said, you don't wait because it's going to rot. You go out every morning and pick it up and each person picks up the same amount. It's called an omer or it's two quarts. But he said, if you gather more than that, you'll have just enough. If you gather less than that, you'll have just enough. Everybody's going to have enough. Because he says, you eat till you're full. You eat till you're full. That's an amazing thing. And he said, on Friday, pick up twice as much. And then you don't pick up anything on Saturday, the Sabbath. Now, this was before the law was given about worship, you know, the Lord on the Sabbath. But it was the pattern of creation. God rested the seventh day. It was a pattern of life. He wants us to rest. That rest is also a picture of Christ. There remains a rest for the people of God. The rest is in Christ. So it's a day of worship, of celebration, of feasting, of fun. Some people think the Sabbath is just you don't have any fun. No, you have lots of fun and joy, but you don't work. You don't work that day. 
So you're not gathering bread, you're not cooking, you do all that the day before. So he provides twice as much. And if you go out on the Sabbath in the morning, there's going to be nothing there, <laughs> which they found out. So you'll, you'll not have too much. Um, you'll, you'll have enough. So don't be hoarding it. It'll rot. You know, I was thinking, whenever you watch kids, you get a big pizza come in. And we just did this when we were out with our kids. I won't name any names, but, you know, my granddaughter, she's very careful just to take one piece, make sure everybody has enough. My grandson, he's taking, he's taking like the whole thing. <laughs> just want to make sure I have enough. <laughs> I think that we all tend to be that way of uh, looking around and seeing, will I have enough to be able to survive? So when God blesses your life, when God rains down the bread from heaven upon you, he's going to test you. And you're going to learn something about God, that God provides everything for you. You're going to learn something about Christ, because Christ is the bread of life. And you're going to learn something about faith. So in those, those three areas this morning, I'd like to look at God is the one who opens his hand and provides for you. Christ is the means by which this happens. And faith is our, our ability or our way of receiving what God has through the testing. So our bread from heaven is from God. It is from God. In verse 4 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. Well, you look at this. God says it. It comes from heaven. He rains it down upon the earth. It's like the dew in the morning just covers the ground. And they wake up and it's there. And they had been crying grumbling and complaining to Moses. You notice what the end of what Jared was reading, he says, your complaint is not against me, it's against God. And ultimately, every complaint, every grievance, every gripe, every bad spirit ends up being at God. Because if you trust that he is the sovereign one over all things, that's what happens. So the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, I'm going to burn them up. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he says, at twilight, well, you, you will eat meat, and in the morning you will have bread until you're full. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Then you will know. So the test of trouble and the test of treasure treasure are both that you might know him. This is the point of the traveling through the wilderness. It, it is a journey to know him, not to get to the place. It's the journey to know him. So he answers in this way. So at evening, the quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And they said, what is it? In fact, that's, a, that's what manna means. In Hebrew, what is it? <laughs> what is this? And they didn't know until Moses. He said, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. 
What is it that we learn about God? What is it that you learn about God in reading chapter 16? Well, we learn about his power and his might and his magnificence, his presence, his knowledge and understanding, his abundance. But I think more than anything, you learn about God's goodness. You learn about God's goodness because he did not give them what they deserved. They were grumbling. He already told them. You say, how many times have I told you? You see his goodness. You know, I started listing all of the things that I know, learn about God in this story. I, I put his presence, awareness, willingness, his power, his resources, his, his faithfulness, his sovereignty. But the overwhelming thought was God is so good that he would do this for these people who don't deserve it. In James 1 and verse 17, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every, every good gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing, every good thing comes from God. That's where it comes from. Now I'm going to give you another verse that has become one of my go-to um, favorite verses in all the scriptures. You can write it down. You'll want to memorize this. Psalm 145, verse 16. The psalmist says to God, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Wow. That speaks to the sufficiency of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the power of God, the might of God. And, and he knows our desires. He knows what we need. The song we sang right before the message, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. What a beautiful thing that we can point to the scriptures. And, and so when... Here's the truth. If, if God knows the desires of our heart, of every living thing, and he opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing, what are we grumbling about? We should be looking to him. And so next time you complain, you may get out of church before doing this, but you probably won't get home. The next time you complain, ask yourself this question. What is it about God that I don't believe? Because if you believe this truth, that he opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing, and all of the promises that we read through the Old Testament and New Testament, so we've learned something about God, and we've learned a lot more than what we've just discussed. But we also learned something about Christ. Our bread from heaven is given through Christ. Now, last week I talked about some people say, oh, that's a bit of a stretch. I don't see Jesus in here. But we talked about that. <laughs> it's all through the Old Testament. 
Jesus is all through the Old Testament and particularly with the life of Moses. And we have gone through this. In Exodus 16, verse 12, it says, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you're full. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. You cannot know God except through Christ. Christ. 